when a trumpet is blown here. So now pay attention then. All the nations of the earth pay attention. Verse 4. For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks and the spreading branches he lops off and clears away. Again, to me, this is just not that clear. It, I think it's probably referring to the eventual destruction of Assyria that Isaiah has been prophesying about already a lot. And in verse 5, when God cuts off all these shoots with pruning hooks and lops off all these branches and so forth, it seems that he's talking about the destruction of Assyria. I think, as Connor mentioned last week, when Assyria comes down and they do defeat the northern tribes up in Israel, and they get pretty close to Jerusalem, but they're not, not going in. And then God sovereignly goes in and puts to death, I don't know how, these people die, 185,000 Assyrians. So uh, it's true then uh, that this would be a monumental task uh, uh, to bury these corpses, 185,000 people at once. And no doubt the birds of the air would play their part in, in doing all this. It's not clear. I think that may be what it is. One more verse, then I'll let you talk. Verse 6, I believe now. Uh, well, let's continue. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey on the mountains. Yes. And the birds of prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. Again, what I've, I've said. Uh, at that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth. Uh, I don't know who the people tall and smooth are. The commentators don't know. Maybe there's a, uh, a note in your Bible that has a suggestion here. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide, that sounds like Assyria, uh, to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. So I think it's probably a following up on this prophecy against Assyria. It's, it's some unclear. I'm sorry, I can't do a better job on that. But if anybody has some light to add, we would we'll, we'll like to hear that. Maybe the day would come when the Ethiopians bring back the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Well, they say they have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But they won't let you see it. That's right. So, the land of, it's as you say, Cush is very mysterious. It's not really even clear what the borders are, and it's not the way countries work now where there are clear borders. No. We're talking about a time period where you didn't really know geography in the same way that we do now. So Cush is, it's not just that Cush is a particular country. For the Israelite mind, Cush is, is the edge of the map. It's yeah. the end of the world. Uh, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Right? indeed. So this is not just a prophecy yes. about a particular country in Africa. 
This is a prophecy to the end of the earth. Well, and, indeed, yeah. and, and the com my commentator brought that out too. It's a prophecy to peoples at the end of the earth. Yes. It's a prophesied to people at the end of the yes. earth. Yes. So yeah. this is a prophecy that goes out to the extreme ends yes. of the world. Yes. Right. And and up until I want to say it was up until the 1700s, the Indian Ocean was actually called the Ethiopian Ocean. Mm -hmm because you had this body of water that went around Africa, yeah. and everything south of Egypt was just called Ethiopia, okay. or Kush, yeah, yeah. right? And it just, the name Ethiopia just means burnt face, <laughs> right? Burnt face. Now, that's actually significant, because when you get to Song of Solomon, yeah. do not stare at me because I'm dark, right? Yeah. You're, talking about, you're talking about the bride at this point. Could be the Queen of Sheba. Yeah. <laughs> okay, real good. Uh, well, yeah. well, that's what they claim. You know, yeah. the Ethiopians claim that Queen Sheba went and got pregnant. She brought him back, and so, so yeah. her son is. Oh yeah, in line, in line, the line of first David, basically. So, yeah, she instituted a whole line of kings for hundreds and hundreds of years there in Ethiopia. Yeah. And then how the last was in that line too? That's what they say. Yeah. I, I think probably, but I think there's a debate among the Ethiopians yeah. whether that was really right or not. But it seems maybe. I'm sure he right. said he was. Oh, I'm sure he said he was. <laughs> <laughs> if, for, for those of us who have been to Ethiopia, and to those, to those who haven't yet, who may someday get to go, it still functions as the end of the world. It's just not geographically the end of the world. It is a wild place. You'll see stuff in Ethiopia that you just won't see here. It's like and the New Testament coming alive. Yeah. It is, it is yeah, yeah. like, spiritually speaking, it is still the edge of the map. Yeah, it is. Um, that is just the function that Ethiopia and the land of Cush mm. has for the, just what God is doing in the world. It's still this land of mystery. Very so. good. Yeah, I thought, when I, went up, I was in the 18th century or something, living in a... 18. Yeah. Completely different. Earlier. Yeah. 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 First century. First century. He said he thought he was in the first century. First century. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's tough, tough. Well, let's go on to uh, chapter 19 then, uh, which is an oracle concerning Egypt. So we can maybe have a little more definition here. Basically, chapters 19 and 20 go together, uh, sort of God's word about Egypt. But we're only going to do 19 uh, today. Uh, okay. Context. Judah was always toying with the idea of placing their confidence in Egypt as an ally against foreign invasion. In chapter 19, we have two long sections. Verses 1 through 15, Egypt's helplessness before God. And verses 16 through 25... Egypt will one day worship God. Okay. Verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Uh, <clears throat> Egypt <clears throat> went through periods of chaos and unity again and again. Uh, part of the problem, no doubt, is their confidence in false gods. Uh, the ten plagues of Exodus, as you recall, in, the, in those plagues, the Lord is attacking some of those false Egyptian gods. I mean, you can, people who know, which I don't remember it exactly, but 
most of those have an Egyptian god lined up with it and God's attacking that god so they say he can't do anything on and on it goes <coughs> um, but evidently like the rest of the human race the Egyptians are slow to learn <coughs> verse 2 and I will stir up if somebody look up Matthew 24 verses 4 through 7 we'll read that one here I will stir up the Egyptians against the Egyptians and they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Of course, this is almost kind of an end time prophecy, but our Lord makes almost the same prophecy. Uh, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 7. If somebody has it, please go ahead, John. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take no heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Yeah, in, a, in a certain way, it's the same old thing, you know, that... Uh, and I think God, maybe God is telling us, you know, just don't place so, so much faith in the nations. You know, I mean, place faith in me. Yes. Uh, because when push comes to shove, the nation can't really help you out. No. Uh, and if you've dealt with government offices, you know they don't want to help you out. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, it's... Same old thing in a certain sense. So how, how long was this after the, 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 the Exodus? Oh, this would be a good, uh, some hundreds of years yeah. after the Exodus. Was, uh, was, I, I, can't, I don't know. Was this Isaiah a post exilic or was he pre No, he was pre-exilic. Okay. Yes, okay. pre-exilic. So, they, so they, they would have been very familiar with the, the whole, oh. I mean, that, their festivals and everything. I mean, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. All right, verse 3. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel. So God will begin to show up Egypt's confidence in, let's say, spiritism, the black arts, false gods in general, which really have demon worship behind them, and God's going to expose all that stuff. Um... Verse 4 and 5. Well, I didn't finish. And they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers, and I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord of hosts. Again, Egypt's history is, I don't know it, I mean, but it's, you know, kingdom and then defeat, kingdom defeat, like Israel and Judah in a lot of ways, you know, this dynasty, that dynasty, and so forth. Uh, all right verse 4 and I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master and a fierce king will rule over them declares the Lord of hosts verses verse 5 verses 5 through 10 really and the waters of the sea will be dried up and the river will be dry and parched and its canals will become foul and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile, 
and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament all who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish, who spread nets on the water. The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton. Those who are the pillars of the land will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be grieved. Well, this is just economic hardship and collapse in Egypt. I mean, it's a depression and uh, uh, kind of a grinding to a halt of industry and so, so forth. I mean, it's hard times. And uh, so God is doing this in Egypt uh, for a reason, which we'll see in a second. Verses 11 through 15. God is going to remove wise counsel from Egypt. Uh, verse 11. The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. <laughs> In other words, since your wise men are so wise, let them tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> 13. The princes of Zoan had become fools, and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion. And they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. Again, it's just disaster. I mean, no wise counsel, no wise men to give the leaders good counsel and so forth and so forth. When was this fulfilled? Uh, well, I think, let me read a little bit more and we'll talk about fulfillment. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when this was fulfilled, other than I, I think this probably happened more than once in Egypt. Okay. But let me get to the next one, we'll talk about fulfillment. Okay, now, what is the point uh, of all this uh, disaster in Egypt? The point of all the disaster is that God is bringing Egypt into a worship of the true God. Now, <laughs> what's the point of all of this, you know, really? <laughs> that God is leading us to believe in the Savior. I mean, that's the point. But we need to talk about that. We need to talk about fulfillment here in Egypt. So, uh, let's read a few verses. Uh, 16. In that day after all this disaster. The Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand of the, that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, look at this, in that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts one of these will be called the city of destruction. 19. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its borders. And we, we have uh, more to read here, which I will, but uh, 
Uh, let's talk about this a little bit. It, it, it appears that Egypt is coming around to the worship of the true God, to the worship of Yahweh. Now, a good question would be, when is this fulfilled? Let's do something else before we do that, and we'll talk about fulfillment. Uh, in some of your Bibles, in verse 18, the last line says, one of these will be called the city of destruction. Does anybody have a different translation of that? One of the footnote, city of the sun. Yeah. yeah most, of, most Bibles have a footnote, you know, city or of city of the sun. Well, sun and destruction are not really that close. Septuagint says city of Azadek. My liner note says that means righteousness. We're way that Well, let me just stay with what I have and not go too far afield. Well, let's see. Greg, you may know this, and Connor may know this, and Katie already knows the answer. I'm going to pass this around. I've got two Hebrew words written here. I think you can see the difference. Uh, let's start yeah, with... It's pretty obvious, it was obvious to me. Uh, you can see the difference in those words, but they're real close in, in Hebrew. Uh, I, would, right. I would guess that the heat of the sun and destruction... Yeah, that's, uh, what, I maybe, was, that's but, what I was thinking about. Can you see the difference in those words? They look almost the same. I mean, if you fly into the sun, won't you be destroyed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were in the middle of the day in August, it's yeah. very bad. <laughs> one, one looks like an animal, the other one. Yeah, those two Hebrew words, they look almost the same, except that letter on the right-hand side. Uh, one of them has just a little bit of air between them, yeah. and, the, and the top one, just a little gap. And those are two Hebrew consonants. One of them is he, the other is kaf. So those words, if, if I could pronounce it, uh, in, in Hebrew, the word is, uh, let's see, which one says destruction? The one with the bottom. The one with the, the bottom one, the, bottom. With the space between the The space. I think so. Okay, the text says hedis. It could be hedis. And they're almost the same. <laughs> in terms of saying it, in terms of writing it. So this is where the confusion comes in, I think, in the text here. Those sorry scribes, man. Well, <laughs> well it would be easy. It would be easy to make a mistake, yeah. describe a mistake and copy yeah, So, yeah. Mine says the Dead Sea Scrolls say son. Okay. Dead Sea Scrolls. So, here we go. The word in question, which means destruction, this word, and here's another problem, this word occurs only one time in the whole Bible. So, you know, it's hard. Uh, the other word in question, very similar, means son, and occurs only several times in the Bible with this meaning of son, not too many times, son. Uh, so, because of the almost same Hebrew letters, there may be a prophetic play on words here. The city of the sun would be Heliopolis in Egypt. Hmm. As you can hear from the Greek, city of the sun, mm -hmm. yes. Which is now within the confines of Cairo. I mean, it's all gone, everything, but I mean, Cairo has absorbed it. Heliopolis, or the city of the sun in Egypt, was the center of the Egyptian sun god Ra, and sun, the worship of the sun god Ra. 
So the prophetic enigmatic message here is that the worship of the sun god will be brought to ruins or brought to destruction. In other words, you could kind of read it either way. So the the city of the sun is going to be brought to destruction, which actually happened. And the worship of the sun god will be brought to destruction also, which has actually happened. So, I mean, that's a lot of, you know, uh, maybe uh, talk. Maybe for not too much information. God's sense of humor. Yeah. Satirical sense of humor. Yeah. So that's what I had uh, on 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 the city of the sun. Verses verses nineteen through twenty two. Then in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. Well, uh, Carter raises a good question. When did this happen? Well, I'm not sure. I'll throw this out. Uh, Does Egypt worship Christ? Well, uh, some people in Egypt do. Uh, In a sense, this has already happened. With with the evangelistic movement of Saint Mark, that would be John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, who became the apostle to the Egyptians in Alexandria. So Mark lands in Alexandria. Uh, He he has a blowout in his sandal, and he goes to the local shoe shop and finds a cobbler who can repair his sandal. He leads this guy to Christ. This guy becomes one of the first bishops in Alexandria and all that, and Mark and all that. So there is an evangelistic movement in Egypt through that. Well, in, in, in Alexandria, became a major Christian center. Absolutely. You know, the, the, just like you had Antioch was one and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, others. Well, Alexandria was one too at one point. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Is it hippo in the Egypt? Mm-hmm. No, that's over around Carthage over Is there. Well, but you're Africa. Yeah, yeah, you're. Well, yes, North Africa indeed uh, became a lot Christianized. Sure. A lot, yes. Uh, it really wasn't until the Muslims came in that that's that, right. that really kind of changed something. Yes. Very good. So uh, this movement of Christianity then, and through Alexandria, as Chris is saying, became the Coptic Church. Which still exists, you know, the Coptic Church, which has about 10% of the population of Egypt. I mean, yes. Plus, there are about 300,000 other Eastern Orthodox Christians in Egypt. So you've got the Coptics, and then you've got Eastern Orthodox. They're similar. I mean, they're similar. You know, very similar. Uh, anyway, they are in Egypt. So you've got about. 12, 14%, 15% of the country of Egypt that are Christians, uh, apart from the rest being Muslims or other things, whatever. So anyway, 
That's a little bit of the history of Egypt. Now, so maybe that movement, as you're saying, maybe that whole movement in North Africa, maybe this is it. Maybe this was the fulfillment here of this Egypt prophecy. Plus the Coptic Christians had a tremendous impact on the Celtic Christians. How so? Uh, apparently, they sent missionaries there. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. Well, maybe this, this is the fulfillment. Um, well, let's go two more verses there, 20 verses, 23 through 25. This appears now to me to be an end of time kind of vision, an eschatological vision. 23. And that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Well, I mean, there may be a road going through there as far as I know, but I don't know about a highway. Uh, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, there are Christian, there are Messianic Jews, Jews that believe in Jesus in Israel. I mean, not just 10 or 20, but I mean, there are hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't say this is a huge movement or that, but I mean, they're there. There are Christians in Egypt. There are Christians in Syria, which is not Assyria, but what is Assyria today anyway? What country? Is it Iraq? Iraq? I think it was Jordan. Syria slash Iraq. Jordan. Jordan's just directly right. east, yeah. right? Yeah, Jordan's east and south. Well, Syria was like north and north east. North and east. So it might, I, th I would guess it would be Iraq and Syria together, perhaps. Perhaps that. Yeah, up in that area. Well, there are Christians in these areas. I mean, in terms of a, you know, a big Holy Ghost revival. Well, Holy Ghost revival indeed. I mean, a lot of these Muslims that have been displaced from Syria and so forth. They're living in tents and starving and freezing and so on. Uh, Christian missionaries that are out there have meetings every night and say, we've never seen crowds like this. I mean, they're filled up every night, you know, preaching the gospel. So, we'll see. I'm sorry this was not maybe totally clear, but uh, if you would like to talk, I'm certainly open to that. Google says that uh, Assyria is, it was located in what is now northern Iraq and southeastern Turkey. Okay. There we are. I remember not too long ago, you know, when they, when they martyred some Coptic Christians on the, on the shore yeah. and uh, went viral. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what the impact. Well, there's a tremendous impact. The the Muslim president of Egypt built a cathedral in honor of these Coptic Christians. Wow. Yeah, they became yeah. national heroes. How many were there? Uh, uh, like 22. ten. Twenty-two. I mean, Twenty-two. Yeah. Well, if you go back to this passage, it starts with verse eleven. You know, where uh, Isaiah is talking about how foolish everybody has turned in. Uh, in Egypt, particularly the leadership, yeah. princes. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, you know, knowing that that they were a strong Christian area uh, in the early years of the church, mm -hmm. this may be a reference to the change over to Islam in 600. Um, 
that uh, you know the, the the leadership became fools and um, you know chose a different God. Well, maybe so. Uh, so I was say, yes, Chris mentioned Alexandria as being kind of a center of Christianity in the early days of the church. And if you read the church fathers, you know, you've got that Alexandrian school, and then you've got the Antiochian school of fathers, and they had slightly different interpretive ways and so forth. But uh, yeah, I mean, Alexandria was like a, uh, yeah, it was a, a Christian area. So maybe that's it. Maybe that was the big fulfillment. I'm guessing this should easily be talking about the end times as well. Once we get into 16 and following, I think, particularly 23 down, I think we're talking about end times, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So double prophecy. Yeah, that happens a lot. Okay. All right, well, thank you for your attention. I'm sorry this is kind of a hard passage today, but uh, anyway, we do what we can. Given our limited abilities. That last verse, yeah, pretty much sums up all of Isaiah. If you want to understand Isaiah, just read that last verse over and over and over. And over, and over. No. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my hands. That's it. It's all contained in that verse. There you go. All right. Thank you.